Welcome to Forever White Belt. I am your host, Adolfo Ferranda. Today on the show, I have the honor to speak to Malachi Friedman. Malachi Friedman is the second degree black belt in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu under the legendary Master Ricardo Laborio, co founder of American Top Team, ATT, and Carlson Gracie Lineage. With 18 years of experience, Professor Friedman is adept in multiple fight disciplines, including MMA, BJJ, boxing, Muay Thai, and wrestling. Beginning in 2001, Malachi started his training with the late UFC middleweight champion, Evan Tanner. After years of competition, he joined American Top Team headquarters in Coconut Creek, Florida, considered to be the number one MMA training camp in the country, and one of the only teams capable of putting out world champions at the time. While at headquarters, Malachi spent eight years coaching the late great Kimbo Slice to his win against Ken Shamrock in Bellator. He also cornered and coached Ultimate Fighting Championship fighters, IBJJF, and ADCC BJJ competitors, and hundreds of newcomers to the sport. In addition to coaching, Malachi is both a strategist and innovator in the sport, having created video instructionals, The Dars Killer, The Heisengard, Flower Power, Shit Your Instructor Never Showed You, Unfuck Your Jiu-Jitsu, and Acai Free. He's a regular contributor to Jiu-Jitsu Magazine. In 2015, Malachi brought his experience and knowledge back to his hometown of Charleston, where he owns and operates Black Label Martial Arts Academy, formerly known as American Top Team Low Country, with his wife Sarah. Malachi also owns Black Label Jiu-Jitsu Raiders Team and teaches free women's self-defense seminars to the Charleston and surrounding areas. Malachi is a bit of an enigma, with one foot firmly planted in over a decade of traditional BJJ expertise, and his other foot in a wild experimental research lab of techniques and concepts. You get the sense his brain is inhabited by both a bit of madness and genius. His experimentation has birthed a library of fantastic instructionals. His Dars Killer instructional is absolute mandatory viewing, in my opinion. In this interview, you will hear that Malachi often wears his heart on his sleeve, I was pleasantly surprised with how candid and how honest he was in our conversation. It's refreshing to speak with someone like this. We talk about how he developed these traits, the trajectory of his career, running an academy, academy drama, developing talent, and his future plans. It all makes for a fascinating conversation. And with that, I give you Malachi Friedman. So welcome to the show, Malachi. Hey, thank you for having me. Number one, it's a total honor to have you. I've been following you for quite some time, even pre-BJJ for me. One of those people, you know, you'd be surprised how many lurkers there are that don't practice BJJ, but like intake all of this stuff and your content. It's a trippy sort of sect out there, right? Yeah, I don't think I really even realize how to connect with people. Like, I, you know, you hit send on the Instagram button and you don't know who you're connecting with. <laughs> you don't know who likes your stuff. You see the views are well. Like, so sometimes you see the views are good and you're like, hey, this is this one's good. Or who knows, maybe it's just the algorithm. But yeah, it's kind of a, a trippy thing on the content creator side as well. Do you consider yourself like a, a technical person? No. It doesn't um, seem like that, you know, but which is amazing because you are everywhere. Yeah. I guess I tried to put out, so I, I like teaching and of course I like being liked for being, for teaching. You know, I think all teachers want to be, they want to have a following. They want people to appreciate them. And so the Instagram and the internet is kind of just a space for reaching more people. So I think that's just what it is, is that I'm very basic when it comes to editing. I'm very basic when it comes to filming. I'm usually just filming my classes, but when it comes down to it, I'm just trying to reach people like you, you know, reach people that, that actually enjoy my stuff and then just keep going from there. 
You know, it's a, it's a trip. I'm, I'm noticing a common thread among you really super high-level teachers, the arc of your careers from, in your case, like personal trainer to competitor and now to a master-level teacher, I would consider. And your guys' constant curiosity, your constant never-ending efforts, you don't stop. You're always trying new stuff, constantly failing at different stuff. But when you hit, you really hit big. It's this weird trait amongst all of you. Yeah, I think it's it's like anything else. So if you want to be John, I think John Donahue is probably a different person. But I think I think a lot of people don't realize where John Donahue was in 2001. You know what I mean? Like so, like nobody realizes that he was the guy that helped co-author the book for Hoyler and Henza. You can tell by the writing. You can tell by how deep into the explanation things are that a lot of that is John Donahue taking what. Hinzo and Hoyle were saying and compressing it into a more almost like a textbook of knowledge. And so it's like I remember seeing him on the cover and being like, whoa, he wasn't even on the cover. He was on the back about like about the author and he had hair. You know, I was back when John R. Yeah. was losing hair. Um, <laughs> and he, you know, I'm not sure about the, the gi top and no pants, but it's, it's one of those things where if I want to get to the UFC, I have to first fail in training, then I have to fail in front of everybody else. And then at some point I hit a stride and then I think like a lot of people, especially on the internet, that you open yourself up for criticism. And I think like it's almost to a degree where of competing wise that I'm just going to put something out there. If everybody says it's garbage, that's okay. If, if some people like it, some people don't, you just keep adapting until you hit your audience because I can't have everybody like me. I can't everybody like the stuff that I do. Mm-hmm. I can't have everybody like the techniques that I show. And I think at the end of the day, me realizing that certain people are going to love me and people mm-hmm. are going to be okay with me. And some other people are going to hate me. And, but then there's also 2 billion people in the world that have never heard of me, you know? And so it's almost like when you go into those kind of ideas, you're just like, okay, well, whatever, I'm just going to put this out. And if it hits home with people, great. Number one, have you always had that kind of self-awareness that some people don't like you? Well, just because you have a specific voice, you know what I mean? You have a particular way of doing things which really attract a lot of people. And as you're aware, you can't please everyone all the time. But let's talk about as a child, right? As a kid, yeah. did you have this or was this something that sort of came about? Because a lot of kids, you, you just want to blend in. You right. don't want to make waves. I'm an introvert now, but I think I always wanted to be a popular kid. I, I, but I didn't want to do be a popular kid for any reasons that weren't myself individually, like who I am. And I think my parents were a really big support in telling me I'm great and telling me, yeah, I think if I call my mom right now, she'd still tell me that I'm amazing. So having a, a good network like that at home, then also do, I guess, growing up as a kid and, and growing up into certain things that, yeah, you, you have a realization. Like, I think I'm, I'm a fairly intelligent person that understands reality. And that's why sometimes I, I realize that what I do is not right for everybody else. Like, like some people need, they need the Conor McGregor mindset to become who Conor McGregor is. And maybe if other people had that same mindset that they would travel to the top like he did. But for me, I, I've always, I have like, a, like an OCD about error and failure and people that giving more of what I could have given or what I should have said. And I think that's opened me up to putting out more stuff because it's like, well, I'm not done yet. This is how I felt about this or this is how I feel about this. But I think when I, when I started at MMA, I think I always knew I was going to be a coach. Because like basically in the beginning you had to coach yourself. You know, you had to like watch like Shogun fighting in Pride and go like, okay, well he did the stomp 
and that's how he passed the guard. You know, like he went to kick, and it it was all just like a lot of my my MMA stuff would come from. Uh, you know, I'm not sure how familiar people are with Carl Parisian, but Carl was a huge part of my development as a fighter because I was good on the ground, but I did not know how to wrestle wrestlers. I was out in Oregon, you know, and, and everybody's mm-hmm. wrestling out there, and they're all very high-level wrestlers. In Carl, I saw Carl getting takedowns, but with like judo, no-gi judo, and I would just sit there and, and watch over and over again and try to figure out, okay, Kimura takedown. Like, I can do that. I can do a Kimura. If I can do a Kimura, I can sit on my butt and I can kick somebody over top of me to get on top. And so it was just, you know, certain things like that that kind of pointed out the direction that I'm coaching myself already. I'm probably going to be a pretty good coach later on. So yeah, and also when I fought MMA, I, I knew the odds of becoming a champion. You know, like everybody's going to be the UFC champion, but reality, like if I had to go through the list of UFC champions, from now until 2010, we'd be done in like under a minute. So I think it's one of those things where knowing reality and backing myself up for success later was there. So just from some geographic context, where were you born, raised in these transitions? Because I, following your career, I hear Florida, I hear South Carolina, I hear Oregon. So I am from Charleston, South Carolina. I was here growing up. There was like anything else. I, was a, I think I was a skateboarder. So skateboarder and a baseball player. And I think mm-hmm. kind of took my, my love for seeing special stuff. Like, so like, I still watch to this day. So like, I love highlight videos. I've just started trying to watch basketball again and I can't really watch it as a game, but I can watch highlights and pick out people I like. But it's kind of like, with skateboarding, there was a feeling of of when you hit a move or a trick or when you were watching watching a move or a trick that, at least in a highlight video, that you kind of resonated with and you're like, that's amazing. Like, you know, the music was with it. And so I think that's where my enjoyment for jiu-jitsu kind of lies in the highlight kind of stuff is like, you make a move or you hit a trick you hit a technique or you hit a sweep, that feeling that you, you get when you practice something to a point when it matters. And so I left Charleston, South Carolina in at 18 or 19 years old, and I moved to Hilton Head, and I lived in a gym for fighters for probably a month or two months before I got kicked out because I was a 19-year-old kid. And I think that, that a lot of same people had probably the same issues with that I had, which was drinking, drugs, fighting in the street, like anything that was that wasn't didn't have to do with school. I was really into, and I had to kind of figure out why I liked fighting so much because it was like an adrenaline rush and there was all this other stuff. I liked the persona of fighting, of being somebody that, that fights, and then it kind of came to a head where it was like you're getting too old for this stuff. You you can't get arrested, you can't go to jail for this stuff. So what are you going to do? I'm going to move far away from my, my friends because my friends are always going to be there to pick me up and get drunk and get in trouble with. So I went to Oregon and I met some really cool guys out there. I, I was able to meet Evan Tanner and, and kind of get taken underneath Evan Tanner's wing, uh, which during the moment he was, he took me underneath his wing, he was in a very fragile position or at least in a fragile life position. And, you know, I got to train a bunch with him and I got probably more access to fighters and things that than a normal person would have gotten. A, a former UFC champion walks in, they're not going to tell his buddy to, to hit the bricks either. So I had to come with him to wherever, we're, whatever we're doing while we were in Vegas. So we went from Oregon, traveled to Vegas, and then from Vegas, I went to Philadelphia because I was working with a venue called Cage Fury Fighting. And they're still around now. They were the people that first had Kimbo. So the funny thing is they were looking for the first pay-per-view. And I was like, well, you guys got to see the YouTube video of 
uh, this guy Kimbo, and I was like, you know, he should fight the pay per view. Everybody would watch. Everybody would watch his first MMA fight. He fought Ray Mercer in an exhibition match. And then that organization fell through, and I finally went to Florida, where I spent the majority of like eight or nine years. My that's where my injuries started. I started. I got an injured neck when I was 26, and had surgery, and then had another surgery, and then there was just a whole crap load of stuff. And then I finally came back to Charleston five years ago. So wow. Five years ago today, my gym's just been open for about five years and a couple months. I know that's a lot of stuff, but it's there's a lot of stories in between all of that. But yeah, my hometown is Charleston. I was able to bring my family here and kind of share my, my jiu-jitsu and, and stuff with the local town. It's it's hard to, to pinpoint the where and whys, but there's just a lot of me moving. I think for people that are doing martial arts, they have to understand that in life, unless you find somebody that's that cares a lot about you, you know, like you're going to have to do a lot of stuff on your own. You're going to have to take care of yourself because no, you're not Conor McGregor just because you have five amateur fights. You know, you're not. You know, you're gonna to have to help. Like you know, like I lived in the gym, I cleaned the gym, I taught. I taught at the gym. I made almost nothing at, at any academy I've ever taught at. It would be a blip of like the expenses that cost them for my work was nothing. Mm-hmm. And I was just super available for free. And that's how you meet people. That's how you get opportunities. I don't think that a lot of people that are in this sport really realize that nobody's going to give you anything without anything else in return. And so if you want to be a coach, you better be able to give some privates for, for super cheap and kind of hone your craft. You better be able to say yes to the kids class. You know, I don't care if you're getting paid or not, man, you better be say yes, you better get in front of people. You better, you better start putting the work in, you know, like you're not a superstar because you won a gold medal at the IBJJF at Bluebell. You're not, that's not going to, like there's thousands of people in the world that have won championships at a very low level of jiu-jitsu. Even if, it, even if we think Bluebell world champion is a high level, it's still a grain of salt compared to being Cyborg or being Buchesha or being Leandro Lowe being those guys. So it's about living pretty the, the rough life. So I always ask my guys, so when my when my fighters want to say, like, I want to be a champion, or I want to be this, I tell them, are you married? And I said, okay, you got a girlfriend that you're going to marry? And they say, no. I say, okay, that's good. I said, you got any kids? They say yes or no. I'm like, well, that's going to stop. You know, like you mm-hmm. have to have almost to be able to abandon everything in life and not even take care of your own self. Like, so learn how to eat peanut butter jelly sandwiches or tuna out of the can and learn how to be, how to live with five people in a two bedroom apartment, because that's, that's what this life takes. If you want to be in a room with great people, you're going to have to eat a lot of tuna out of the can and enjoy it because you don't have to get a job. You know, you just bounce on the weekends or do this or do that, or do some jobs. Like you don't have a car, you all get in the same car, you know, and you don't even know who the car is titled to, but you know that there's one car that you can get in get the training, get back where there's a bus or anything else. So I think that's the biggest thing that people mis- have a misconception about dedicating their life to this is that they're dedicated you have to forego comfort. are spinning so many freaking plates it's crazy number one it's uh the knowledge of the art itself jujitsu the knowledge of the mma game in itself the knowledge of psychology that you're talking about here being an entrepreneur being a marketing expert suddenly having to deal with kids curriculum uh, there's all kinds of stuff you're dealing with how does maliki deal with all these different spinning plates and deal with your strengths and weaknesses in each so I would say it's a good network of, I haven't, just like, I don't think anybody real. so like, I'm not going to pretend to anybody 
man, my life has a million small fires, you know? And I think that if anybody says like, man, I'm living a good life, man, jujitsu has done so much for, it's done a lot for me. And it's, it's really moved me along to be able to provide for my family. And a lot of that is just me being dogged on making sure that we're taken care of. So because I go, I forego comfort again to put my family in a spot to where maybe I get another opportunity, maybe because I'm not done yet. I'm like at a position where I'm not done. I have goals as a coach. I have goals for my athletes. I have goals for myself. I have goals for my family and, and their comfort. But right now it's kind of like my wife helps me with a lot of things. I mean, so she's online constantly. Like I own an academy. So that's my number one buyer. You know, like, so there's like 30 small fires in that, in that area um, that I'm dealing with. And then I, apart from like members, members stop paying, members coronavirus, uh, you know, just toxic uh, people that get into the gym. Like everybody has to know that there's going to be like, you know, a lot of anti people that like, it's always like, that always pops up with, we're like, all of a sudden you're the establishment and you're make, just because you make the rules you're the bad guy. And it's like, well, open a gym, you know, like if you go somewhere else or open a gym and this is what I need. This is how I see my, my, my gym surviving so I can Mm -hmm. feed my family. And then on top of that, being able to market myself online so that there's possibility for more, I guess you could say possibility for, for, for greater improvement on my life, you know, because I bet that I think of a guy who's not a competitor who, who coaches. So like, you know, like as far as, pick somebody good let's say uh the mendez brothers their life is probably completely different than my own but probably everybody deals with loss of customers loss of this loss of revenue what what to do during the coronavirus um and then on top of that me answering the phone going to like I, i think you'd be amazed so let me just start like this i teach all my kids classes so i do all of that so the person that they see online who probably people think like he's doing everything that's so like he gets to go online he gets to be do this. He gets to I get a I get to do a, a podcast. You know what I mean? Like I get to be a, like that's an honor. It's, it's really is an honor to be a guest on a podcast because that means that not only the person that is talking to you wants to talk to you, but they believe that their audience that they're giving it to wants to hear from you as well. So it's a you know like it's an honor to be on a podcast. I I don't take that as as something light or something that's like eh, I got to do this podcast in thirty minutes. No, it's I'm still in I'm still in the baby stages of my life. Of, being a uh, publicizing my jujitsu to where being on a podcast is an honor, you know, being somebody wanting to talk to me and wanting to understand what I'm doing. It's an honor. So I teach all my kids classes. I teach every adult class currently besides Saturday that goes underneath the jujitsu area. That's why I have a lot of content because I get to film, I film everything that I'm, that I'm teaching. And then I, so I have a secondary location that was, was given to me by a student um, who is leaving to New York. Ah, um, okay. And, that location is in a facility that does not allow more than like three to six people during the coronavirus to be taught. And, and I understand completely with, with all that stuff because they have to, they have to defend them. They have to, they got to protect themselves. And then a lot of the kids, parents maybe just did, don't know me and don't know who I am. And there's no mm. reason to, during the coronavirus, I did Zoom kids classes for mm. an hour every single day. And that was probably the one of the most insane things I've ever done because I'm trying to make everybody yeah. happy. I'm trying to make everybody happy. I'm trying to make everybody still want to be part of the gym and, and, mm-hmm. and feel connected to people. And it was like, I couldn't even encapsulate the amount of work that 
went into this year just as a whole and people think i'd like to be in his shoes and it's it's true i, I want to i would want to be in my shoes too but at the same time you have to build for this life you know my wife gets less of me she doesn't if i'm if you see me on the internet a bunch that means i must be doing a bunch of, of internet stuff which means that when I'm not teaching, wow. trying to edit or put something together and our life revolves around my stuff and that can be not the best marriage relationship. You know, like I'm lucky that I have a wife that, that understands and checks in with me, but it's one of those things where, where we have greater expectations of, and they, my family, my wife and family believe in me to get us to another level, to another level, to hopefully hit the brakes and go on vacation mm. or do something like mm. that. But it's like, mm -hmm. it's just not there yet. And I've always had that, that mentality of, it doesn't matter what's happening in my life. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter what's going on. Nobody wants to hear how terrible things can, how terrible things are or can be or what I'm doing and what I, what I did to get here. They only care about the end result, which is what mm -hmm. they're purchasing. Mm -hmm. If somebody wants to purchase a DVD from me, it better be a good DVD. And I don't get to go underneath the guise of, you know, unfortunately with all my injuries and stuff like that, I, I don't get to compete. And so I don't get to go underneath the competition. Like, and this is not me using anybody as an example, because so I'll use somebody who's, who I, who I think is amazing. Lachlan Giles, his instructionals are amazing. Kudos hundred percent to that guy who's competing and got, I was there when he got third at the ADCC, but probably a lot of people would not have known about Lachlan Giles DVDs as instructionals had he not had such a stellar performance. Mm -hmm, true. And so, and I'm not, and I will never complain. I didn't get to have a stellar performance. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? So I didn't get to have a stellar performance that rocketed my name across 50, 60 different jujitsu sites and, or 200, 500 Instagram pages of him uh, tapping everybody out with, with a heel hook. And goes like, hey, this Lachlan Giles guy might be pretty good. Let me see what he's got. I'll buy his DVD. Mm -hmm. And they they jump into the DVD. And it's like, hey, this guy's super intelligent. This right. guy's breaking down. He's not just giving me a technique. He's giving me a whole complete understanding of the lower half of the body and how it, and how he's using it. And he has different thoughts than possibly Gordon Ryan, or he has different thoughts than Donaher, or not saying that he has counter issues, but he has his own adaptations to those things. Mm -hmm. And so very rarely, so then you go on to the other people. So I don't have, so this is good. I got to mention Lachlan Giles mm -hmm. and say how great he is, but then you go under some of these other world champions and they're just putting out just garbage. It's, mm -hmm. I mean, some of these other guys are putting out just stuff that has been regurgitated over and over and over again. And it's almost not even a part of their game. They have nothing new to add, but they want to put their name on the, over the cover of it. And it's like half guard killer moves. You know, mm -hmm. and it's like, it's like full guard, killer, killer tech. And they're basically cashing in off of their name, which 100% they should be able to. That's yeah. why you got LeBron James and Sprite and all these other things is that sure. people get to reap the rewards of hard work and success. And I think yeah. that that's important. But just, and I like this, somebody told me this one time was that if you're a basketball coach, right? So let's think of, you know, like Phil Jackson, just because I can't think of the Spurs coach who I really like. Phil Jackson at 50 years old, you don't expect Phil Jackson to get out there in a, in a tuxedo and dunk the ball. Right. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. there's enough trust to a point where some coaches are five foot nine, you know, and they're amazing coaches. Some coaches have never played professional basketball. And I think that that's where Absolutely. at some point we need to like, what we will have to figure out is that the, some of the best coaches in the world are not going to be world champions. Not to say that like, Oh, Kyle Terra, Kyle Terra is brilliant. Yeah. You know, like, he is brilliant. He's a world champion. Mm -hmm. He knows how to teach. 
And then there's other world champions that like, you know, like you can watch a seminar and they're like, how'd you do that move? They, they show mm-hmm. you. And then they go, I'm, I'm having trouble. Make sure the exact move they just showed, but different. Right, right. And it's like, man, that guy has no idea what he did. He right. li- he he is jujitsu. Right. He 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 makes anything work for himself because he he's been doing it for so long that he can just make it happen. He can't explain how it happens, but he can find a way. And I think that that's one of the things that we're going to get to at some point of understanding is that coaching and competing are completely different things. They don't mean they're separate. They have different homes. I, I think it's starting to happen, I think. And number one, I think you're at your peak right now, okay? And number two, I mean, we're seeing examples of that, especially on YouTube is what I've seen. It's like Chewy from Jiu-Jitsu, right? right? He's not a really famous known competitor, and he's huge on YouTube in, in Jiu-Jitsu. Um, there's a gentleman from Australia who's doing the same thing. There's Rob Bernacki of Ireland Top Team who's hitting it huge. Uh, Stephen Kesting, of course, of Canada, of Canada, you know, with grapple arts and, and that whole thing. So I think we're getting there, but but to your point, you are right. I think for the general layman who's coming in to the art, they are going to look for the star competitor probably, yeah, and right. look for the Gordon Ryan and associate that with, and, and Gordon Ryan is a fantastic teacher by chance and has great material. Right. However, uh, you're right, uh, being a great competitor doesn't necessarily correlate with being a great instructor or teacher, you know, or leader of men, or as, they, as Brandon McCaffrey would say. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and like I said, man, I'm, I'm for some people, I'm not for others. Um, yeah. That's it. You know, it's like, like sometimes, like, I think just the conversation you're having with me, you understand that I'm not filtering anything. So I don't know how other people's brains work, but whatever's coming out of my mouth is I catch later sometimes. So it's, I'm not well composed. I'm not running for office. When I teach, I'm not running for office. When I talk to you, I'm not running for office. I'm saying, these are things that I'm good at. This is what I think currently, because at any point I can, I allow myself to change my mind. That's the big, one of the biggest things is that I'm going to believe in what I believe in until I change my mind. And having that as, a, as an instructor is super important because things change so much. And I think some of these older guys, they die off because they refuse to see the value in other things. So it's like, if you want to learn a Barambolo, hmm. man, the Barambolo, I don't do. I don't do it. I, I couldn't do it when I started a gi training. I couldn't because mm-hmm. I already had a neck surgery. So I already, mm-hmm. going into the gi, I had an injury. So I did eight and a half or nine years of jujitsu, no gi, just no gi, hmm. right? And I remember a Brazilian telling me like, oh, you don't do jujitsu. If you're not doing it in the gi, you don't do jujitsu. Mm-hmm. So it's like, and I didn't understand. It's like, no, I, I've been doing BJJ for eight years. It's like, no, you don't do BJJ. And so in a way he was right. I was really good at scrambles. And I was really good at making opportunities happen, falling apps that, that, I, that I was able to create. But I didn't really get my first bites of, ju- of jujitsu. Like, I didn't care if I got swept. Like, like you know what I mean? Like, like mm-hmm. there was just no like concept of like passing the guard. Like, yeah, I passed the guard so I can punch somebody in the face because I'm doing this for MMA, right? I, the whole thing matters to me is that whether or not I got a submission, I'm counting submissions where mm-hmm. now I care a lot about being on top. I care a lot about passing the guard. I care a lot about if I'm on bottom, getting the sweep. And when I got into jujitsu, I had the neck injury and I could only learn the bear and bolo by being bear and bolo. Mm-hmm. You know, I couldn't bear and bolo. I couldn't do the bear and bolo myself. So mm-hmm. I got to know, understand the bear and bolo so much to where I had to understand how it worked and what they wanted so I could stop it. And then I'll get one of my guys that does bear and bolos and I'll, let him teach the Barambolo, and then I will go underneath the, the idea of 
this is how I believe you can defend the bear and bolo. Maybe different for you or, or somebody else, but it's like that. Like I can't do everything. Like the footlock stuff, my education into the footlock stuff goes as far as Alan Belcher and Tokino. You put all that stuff together in front of me, I understand that completely. I understand mm. everything that's going on in those in those minutes. I understand everything that where there's danger and there's not danger. And now we're into a whole idea of saddle, of honey hole, of, you know, and it's something that I have to work on because it's, I can't be an old, one of those guys like, oh, the, everybody's in the footlocks. That's not the real way of jujitsu. You know, like that's only a no gi. That's not the real jujitsu. It's like, no, I'm going to have to understand and learn that. And then I'm going to have to, I'm excited that, you know, like when I, I'm working on getting my dexterity back in, from my last surgery, that I'll work on rubber guard. Like that's kind of cool that I will maybe be a, Eddie Bravo or rubber or 10th planet black belt because I get to start over and without feeling, you know, like completely without not understanding the biomechanics. So I get to do something that I already kind of understand, but I understand it on a different level. I think that those are the, those are, I really like wrestling. Like, it was unfortunate because I really like wrestling right now. And I never liked wrestling because wrestlers put me on my butt. It was like, okay, I got to get good at jujitsu, but I have this wrestler in my school and he talks about wrestling in a, biomechanical detail of mm. why things work and mm. you tell me that if you start talking biomechanics and stuff like that and tell me well well he's gonna fall because his elbow touched his knee i'm like mm. that's amazing those are the, those are the things i i like is when mm -hmm. somebody shows me the mechanical detail of why somebody can just fall over the position i wish i was healthy i could wrestle like i want to but i really enjoy wrestling and i'm going to learn that more uh, mm -hmm. probably more from the coaching perspective than the ath athletics part but man it's, this stuff doesn't stop you know i have my one of my fighters who's in love with the footlock game and I ask him a lot of questions and I show him respect because he knows, I know more about biomechanics of the, of, of the hips and feet, and, but he knows more about the entries. He knows about what people are looking for. So I, I lean on him to educate me and I lean on my D one guy or, or my, my state champion to educate me of on the wrestling parts of why the reshot, like why he would put his hips in this position rather than the other position. I'm lucky. I'm lucky to not be up my own butt so much, you know, like and to not feel challenged when when somebody asks me a question. So I think that's the biggest thing is that coaches nowadays they, they have to have all the answers, and so they have to pretend that they have all the answers, and without just sitting back and going like, "Listen, you are a amazing grappler, being a wrestler. Your choices may be better than mine. Can you show me?" You know, I just had that conversation because we're, we're getting a guy ready for an MMA fight. And he goes, well, why did you do this like that? Why did you move your leg here rather than climbing up? I go, and uh, we had a discussion. And he's, I said, listen, I want you to try your way because you might be actually right. Like, I can only tell you that for, as far as the MMA skills that I have and the, the ideas that I follow and myself as a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu enthusiast, black belt person that studies, this is my answer. Right. But you've also been wrestling since you were three and you're, you're 30, you're 32 years old. Let's look at what you have to say about that. Sure. You know, because Jiu-Jitsu doesn't always trump wrestling in every position. Sometimes there's mm -hmm. something that needs to be added. Sometimes Judo, sometimes Judo has a better answer for something than Jiu-Jitsu would have. We have to stop being like, I can't say like the Gi is better than no Gi. I believe the Gi will make you better at nogi will make you better at mma i believe that because i did nine years of nogi and then did gi and saw my jiu-jitsu drastically jump 
you're such an enigma in a way because I knew immediately, you know, when I saw a lot of your DVD material and one thing that really turned me on to was uh, I saw videos of you with Jake, Budo Jake of Budo Videos, and you were talking about, I think it was uh, Dar's Killer and, and Flower Power at the time. And I'm like, wow, this is fascinating. I could tell here's a guy who has one foot in the traditional, foundational, beautiful jujitsu who has that down pack, and he has this other foot in the laboratory, if you will, you know, and being open to uh, the scientific method and trying new things and recently hearing you to even dabble in the 10th planet type of mentality. Yeah, and and yeah, yeah. yeah, in the art itself in that respect. And I'm like, wow, here's a guy who sort of uh, embodies sort of what the podcast Forever White Belt is all about, right? Um, always having the, the mindset of a sort of a beginner, right? So that you just, you're eternally, you're always a white belt, right? You're always growing and growing and growing. I would not become a white belt again, though. So I... I <laughs> When I knew the, the name of your podcast, I thought, would I start all over, mm. right, write myself out of plan? Would I start over from the beginning? I think my answer would be no, because I'm too scared to have made different, because I, I would write to myself, well, don't do this, don't do that. And I would stay away from so many things that I failed at, that I mm. wouldn't be myself anymore. So I don't know mm. if I'd be better now or better or better then. It's, it's, so it's like, I like where I'm at. In my, in my comprehension of jiu-jitsu. Yeah. But I don't know if I would brain wipe everything in the manual from written for myself mm. because I'm too scared that I won't have the same experiences that I had to get to where I am. There's my thought when I saw your podcast name, I'm like, forever white belt. If I was a white belt again, would I go back? It's like, mm -hmm. I'll go back to high school if I write myself a manual for high school, but I'm not sure I would write myself a manual for jiu-jitsu <laughs> because there's so much you learn from making so many stupid mistakes and things that go on in your life that like, no, I'm, I'm who I am because of everything that I've, I've encountered. And I don't want to give up the chance that I could never be understanding just the way I understand it now. We're not epidemiologists, I always have to say that, right. during this time of COVID. The rug has been pulled underneath you in terms of your business and everything. And from every other instructor I'm talking about, all the cards are in the air. What the hell am I going to do? You're talking about this online program that you scrambled to get together, I'm sure. Can you expand on COVID, its impact on your business, on the art in general, the current state of jujitsu? Yeah, uh, so there's less jujitsu. There's less jujitsu to watch. There is less jujitsu that's going on in other towns. There probably is going to be a huge fallout of people that were had a good chance to be good at jujitsu that this got in the way and maybe they will pick up something else. You know, like I, I can't tell you like the person that was going to, uh, let's say who's, who's a young upstart. Well, there's out. Mikey, right? Mikey. All right, Mikey Musumeci. Okay. Yeah. So let's say the guy that would throw Mikey Musumeci quit jujitsu because, mm. because like, so it's like, it's like the person that would have assassinated, you know, Abraham Lincoln, mm. you know, was late or something like that. You know, it's right, like, right. there's so many uh, what ifs that it's like, did you quit? Did you quit jujitsu because it happened? Are you going to stay home? Are you going to come back with as much passion as you had? Are you okay with being the belt that you are? It's all these things. It's like, like so for the people that are still quarantining because they have their family to worry about. I really feel bad for those people. I understand those are the things that they're doing for their family or they're doing for their own health. But are they going to be, let's say they come back in a year because March is around the corner. Once we slide into fall, fall, December, oh, yeah. This virus had started in what February in China, right? And that's yeah. we Arguably December. Some some yeah. reports are saying yeah. yeah. So, but in America, we weren't concerned about it until like February ish. We mm -hmm. were talking about it, and then March hit, and it's going to be March again. Some people are going to have been out of jujitsu for a year. Are they going to be okay with the people that are now slightly better than they are? 
because I always tell people this, like, hey, if you leave with me for a year and then you don't come back in three years and the guy who, who came the day after you quit hits your butt and he welcomes you to the gym and you can't be like, well, this is my gym. What are you talking about? I was here from the beginning. It's like, yeah, but this guy spent three years in here. You spent one. It's his gym now. Welcome. Mm -hmm. You're part of the team trying time to grow. And it's like one of those things where people are going to have to realize that it's time to hustle. What I've been doing my whole life. I think that yeah. where this hurts people, I'm used to this extreme. Like, so I've had three spine surgeries. I've had two knee surgeries. So one ended my MMA career. One ended me pretty much competing. You know, the other... I was falling apart as I was, I, I hurt my back and the four and a half years ago, I didn't get a surgery until a year ago. And I got mm -hmm. like Peter floppy. It's like, there's like a whole nerve issue going on with my feet. It's like, but I have attached myself so hard and not given up at any given moment. I just, it's, it sounds ridiculous, but I am great at suffering. So I'm able to hold on to something tight and not let go, even though it might be my best. Like everybody's like, Hey man, you gotta let this go. I'm like, I just won't. And so I think we're, People that are have been lucky, or they've had, they haven't had to endure any real problems. Like everybody's endured problems in their life, but any real problems in their jujitsu life, you're going to find out what it takes. It's like what happens when you have the first ACL surgery? What happens when you come back? What happens when you have to come back again? And it's like those are the people that this is going to really affect. Like, does it affect me financially? Really, really bad. Is it affecting how much work I do for the amount of money I do? A lot. It is insane the amount of work I'm doing for the money I, I receive in the in the end. And to worry about constantly, like I'm on the phone with most of the people that are that are coming into the gym. I can't afford somebody to to call out. I am a small business. I call people like, hey, how are you doing? You inquired about martial arts for your child? And like, that's me. It's me doing that. And I think that some people that have maybe had it easier or haven't had to really eat the turd sandwich, you know, it's like that they're not paired for something like this. Mm -hmm. And they will fail if they want to. Mm -hmm. If you want to succeed, you will succeed in some way. That's it. That's right. all I can tell people is that I don't know if you'll be world champion. I don't know if you'll be one of the best in the world. I don't know if you'll do this or do that. All I know is that if you stay with this long enough, you can make a life out of this. Like you can make a life if you forego comfort, if you're ready to, to just eat shit, get the wind knocked out of you over and over and over again and keep getting up and going like, that's okay. That's all right. I'm still going. That's okay. Mm -hmm. You know, like you have to, I think even as like, so we said entrepreneur and we talk business owner and jiu-jitsu comes to how much are you willing to take before you cash out? And I keep telling myself five more years. Mm -hmm. I've been telling myself five more years for the past <laughs> for the past 15 years. <laughs> yeah. That's like just five more years. You <laughs> right. know, there's a funny, it's not funny. There's something I use from Hunter S. Thompson mm -hmm. um, where he talks yeah, about like football season's over. Of course, he committed suicide. I always go into the, into the mentality of, well, Game of Thrones isn't over. So I still have, I got to get through the season before, before I die. You know, I'm like, and then I'll be like, well, like the Ozarks are coming out in like another month or two. So, so it's like, you keep pushing your deadline farther out of how much work you're going to do until you get there. And then you realize you pushed your deadline past 10 years. I shouldn't be here, but I kept pushing my deadline back just a tiny bit more. And then when I got a cheat said, well, now it's time to, to make it work. So like I got the gym, now it's time to make the gym work. The gym works, now it's time to get my, my coaches together. It's time to grow somebody. It's time to... Now I look past myself and I go, and I have two or three guys that, that I really, really like. And I plan on maybe one day, if I still am financially able to invest in them, you know, like I'll invest in their gym and they can go to the back to their hometown and 
they can open up a school and maybe I'll make some money because they'll be very successful and they'll be able to buy me out. I just look at it like that. It's like everybody needs somebody that believes in them as long as they believe in themselves. As long as they like, I have so many guys that I love at my gym that work their butt off and they're doing the exact thing that I was doing while by training, by teaching for free or being a part of the school or being there when I need them, that when they're ready, I know they're going to be a great coach. And that's all I can say. I can't say that they're going to be a great fighter because there's so many great fighters and sometimes it's just luck. Mm -hmm. Like imagine, you know, like I coached uh, Marcus Brimage and his last fight in the UFC was Conor McGregor. What? And I'm like, how do you get bounced out of the UFC when it was Conor McGregor's first fight? And that was your last fight in the UFC. And nobody had any idea that Conor McGregor was going to starch Jose Aldo in, in five seconds. You know, it's like, yeah, you, you got your walking papers off that. That sucks mm -hmm. because maybe you could have been a contender if they would have kept you in there. Maybe you would be mm -hmm. able to keep paying. But I, think I, I looked at, he's doing yoga and stuff now. So it's like, he's in a whole different, you know, like there's people that can spiral down. And then there's people that I know that have the potential that even if they that something bumps in their way and they have to survive, they're going to get over the top and they're going to go right back up. Whether where they're going to jump over to a different thing, and grow that. And so, like I, I have a lot of good people that surround me that keeps me showing up to the gym even when I when I can't stand it. Like you know, there's days I cannot stand going to the gym. You know, I'm, I'm either having a bad interaction with one of my my students, or I'm having this, or I'm having whatever fires going on. And then I teach the kids class, and I'm like I'm like oh, I have to teach the kids today. Are they going to be insane? What's going to happen? And then, like, it's almost lucky that I have the kids first because they do so many cool things where, like, it'll be a good day. And then all my kids will show up. They'll enjoy themselves. And then I move all of a sudden it's seven o'clock, you know, and I'm like, I'm almost done with all my classes. I'm like, thank God. And I loved it. I realized that the things that I really stress out about and that sometimes I think I hate are actually the things I like most of all. So I have bad classes. Like, I think any other coach has, like, you just don't hit your notes. Everything's bad. You realize that like, as far as the jiu-jitsu instructor, you're on stage all the time. You know, you're always on stage and a lot of people want to be where you are, but they don't understand that you're going to have good nights and bad nights, you know, and beside, behind all of that, I also have to look at the numbers of, at the book, you know, like coronavirus, I got to look at the coronavirus numbers of money I'm making of how much work I just put in and be like, it'll be okay. I've, I've been through this crap, you know, again, I just feel bad for some of the people that are going through this is their first thing. This is their first trouble. Maybe this is their first, their real first real issue in life. And I hope that they can keep going because out of that struggle can really create some really inspirational people. You know, mm -hmm. like we read inspirational yeah. books, not by people that haven't been through crap or, or haven't experienced life. We read them from people that failed, have been there, know what you're going through. They're where you want to be. You know, it's like, why else preach jujitsu heals does this for you if you can't stick with it when it sucks, you know? Number one, everyone needs to follow Malachi on Instagram. One of the funnest thing that I like on your Instagram is watching your kids class. So some of the kids, you see them doing these double legs, these little, little ones. It's the cutest damn thing you've ever seen and it's amazing. I wish someone would have taken me under their wing at that age to do all that kinds of amazing stuff. Number two, you talk about, you know, having trouble sometimes within the academy with personalities and things. So I'm curious how you deal with uh, managing culture. You know what I mean? Because that, that seems like such an important thing. So as far as the kids class goes, there's a lot of things that go into teaching them that you find a game, you find one thing that hits home a home run and it becomes part of your curriculum. So I think it's, so to any other coaches, please try things that you're thinking of. That's it. Just try it. Try it. Try a game. 
try a different way of teaching, try something. If it fails, okay. Like I think that too many people are concerned or they get their curriculum from the Gracies, which isn't wrong. Getting the Gracie curriculum is not wrong. They've been very successful in learning how to teach children, but that doesn't exactly mean that that's your voice. Your voice is different. Your voice could be, you know, a little bit more hard nosed or you can be a little bit more caring. There's all different kinds of, but I've experimented with so many different things to make kids take double legs at three years old that, and I wouldn't even take the, I wouldn't even take the credit. So we used to, I forget how we did it, but before we didn't use the dummies to do the double legs on like the little, mm. one of my coaches who's currently not coaching because he's a law enforcement officer and he usually works at the school so it's different hours he hasn't been in for the past since march he was holding the dummy and like throw the dummy at the kid's legs and make him sprawl so that was his you know like that was his idea that was his you know we i had the whole like all right what's the first thing you do change your level penetration step knee comes down leg comes in to help made his hands tilt the t take off we have like little like cute sayings that are our own to teach kids how to do double legs but sometimes it's just off of like okay now we're gonna use the dummy we're gonna throw the dummy at their legs and they're gonna sprawl on the dummy because how else do you get a three-year-old to sprawl hmm. you know it's like yeah you've got to show them on something that they can fail on and not get hurt culture is really hard for me man like so i take everything super personal because i'm very personal in how i teach I think that I teach differently than a lot of other people. I think I dedicate a lot of my time and sometimes people for the first time ever coming to a gym, they think this is how it is. Oh, okay. We're going to do arm bar. We're going to do triangle. We're going to do omoplata. And that's all you do. Like mm -hmm. you just find different ways of doing that. It's like scissor sweep, Kimura sweep. And then that just becomes like the same, like sometimes you sit on a class and you've been in a gym where you sit there and you're like an entire year has passed. I have not learned one thing new, not one thing. Like, you know, like you, I mean, that's for higher belts. But like, I try to get to a point in my life where there's no way that they were taught this because I just found this myself in the position. Like I'm, I'm dialing through, I'm feeling, I'm blind finding, as I'm teaching them, I'm like, hey, there's something here. Uh, that's how the Darst Killer thing happened. That's how the Heisenberg happened. That's how these different concepts of jujitsu happened for me was me experimenting in those positions. And so I think that a lot of times, not always is jujitsu healthy for us. And that's going to be a weird thing to say is that there is a toxicity that every person is capable of. And I think that when they're like, oh, I don't care about the belt. And then they get their blue belt and then they change. They're, they're different. Sometimes they're more helpful, but sometimes they view the white belt as the problem. Like, oh, the white, this white belt or this or that, you know, it's like, Dude, you were just a white belt a year ago. I've been doing this for 19 years. What kind of, I mean, get mad at you for your two years of not knowing how to do a half guard sweep. There's a, a level of, uh, especially in jujitsu, I'm not sure if in other sports, but where people get to a position of leadership where they want to be the guy and they want to be the guy on the mats. They want to be the guy that everybody's looking up to or to, but they don't realize the other end of it because they only come in there for that hour. They only come in there for that hour and a half. They don't have to bring it home with, with their family. Life is a lot easier when you only see things from a different perspective. So you see things from the from the student perspective, and maybe you're a brown belt, maybe you're a black belt, maybe you're a purple belt, and you see things from your perspective, but you don't realize what's on the other hand. Like you don't see what's on the other, at the opposite end. And there can become a toxic reaction or like, man, coach should be doing this or coach should be doing that. It's like, dude, if you're happy, you're happy. Like, first of all, tell me what you think. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to get mad at you. Just tell me what you think. Mm -hmm. And then if there's something I can't do for you, I'm sorry. This is the way I run my academy. Mm -hmm. These are the reasons why. Or I'm sorry. 
that you feel that way, let me try to address that in another way and so that you can become happy because yes, you're pointing out something that's relevant and is true that I, I may need to move my thermostat a little bit to make everybody more comfortable. But sometimes it's just like, hey, listen, dude, this is how I teach. This is as far as I can teach. This is where I can take you. I understand you've made this into a, a lifestyle of yourself, but if the lifestyle, you're, if you're unhappy here, you have to go, mm. go somewhere else. Because it's, and it's difficult to say that because, you know, you care about all those people, but sometimes you put your energy into certain people that just, they're already halfway out the door. And especially in sports and martial arts and in MMA and fighting, mm -hmm. they're halfway out the door. Like when they say, hey, coach, I'm done. I'm quitting. You're like, are you kidding me? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you have to say, okay, but you're like, are you kidding me, man? Do you know how many tournaments I went to you with? You know mm -hmm. how many? It's like, yeah, and I'm done. I'm going to the army. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, I understand, man, but you have all this potential. You can, listen, man, you can own a gym. You can do these things. Listen, sometimes you you put, like, imagine if Donaher and Gordon Ryan were together and you get Gordon Ryan, comes up to Don John Donaher and goes, man, listen, I'm just not feeling it anymore. I'm just not hitting my stride anymore. I'm going to take a break from Jiu-Jitsu. You're like, what are you talking about? There's times where you put so much into somebody to make a Gordon Ryan or to make somebody and they just step out. And you mm -hmm. have to be mentally, physically, you have to be financially prepared for somebody just to check out real fast. And I think that's one of the things is that, you know, as a coach, I'm just not going to change my approach. I'm going to coach people as hard as I can coach. I'm going to give them as much of myself as I can give them. But then I have to be okay with the end result of it and know that mm -hmm. I'm doing this for a greater reason. And there's a big reason why I started posting online. So I didn't start posting online until my third year into my five years of owning a gym. Because mm -hmm. I, for some reason in my head, I thought this is our stuff. We're mm -hmm. not going to share it. We're not going to show it. And then I realized that like after doing, after keeping everything in house so much that I and losing guys, having guys losing us, they didn't care if I was showing stuff online. They didn't mm -hmm. care. Like as soon as I started giving things away to people, but in my own head, I was like, well, I don't want my coach showing stuff if I'm competing. Like if I'm competing, mm -hmm. I don't want him to show everybody else out there stuff that I might know because I'm paying for this. So either I'm paying for this or I'm paying for this with my body, my blood, sweat, and tears. I want my coach to have the same amount of loyalty that I have to him that have to me. Maybe jujitsu is different. Maybe, maybe we're coming to a different day and age where things are different. But had I not done that, you we wouldn't have this podcast and talk. Yeah. To even understand that that was a thought in my head, post anything that I teach because I'm trying to make competitors. That just shows you the kind of era I was built in, where it's like, we don't share, we don't do this. When we go in there, it's, it's us versus them. Mm -hmm. And the jiu-jitsu community has changed so much where like, I don't have to subscribe to that. Yeah. But it's changed so much to where like, man, sometimes you're just the guy only wants to know, learn Jiu-Jitsu under his terms. And that's okay. You just can't put as much into that one human being as, as you would somebody that's hundred percent in, in your corner. You know, like hmm. they might move. They're doing this for a hobby. You can't say, I expect this from you. They're paying you. So you give yep. them what they're paying for your best teaching right. that you can possibly give. But then there's other people that want more, you know, they want to ask every single question. They want your own divided attention. They want mm -hmm. these things. And it's like, okay, well, if we start getting into this area, it's like, this is where I'm starting to really give my, a lot too much of myself. Like I'm staying after for 45 minutes, hmm. doing this for 30 minutes. My wife is mm -hmm. pissed. You don't mm -hmm. understand, man. I haven't, I haven't been home yet. And if you're not going to be there, I can't deal with that heartache again, of losing a student that I put so much into and then just falls apart. And you're just like, man. So as far as this, I've learned a lot off of people that have kept teaching. 
have better ways of, of delivering information. But I think it's that these guys don't understand that your culture, your community is what you make it. And so understanding that there is that outside toxic group of people that are, that no matter where they go, I think a brown belt, black belt, they're always going to be that person. There's nothing mm-hmm. you can do to change how that person sees it unless you say, hey, you want to open up a gym? They're like, yeah. And then you say, here you go. And then they go, oh, shit. Ouch. Like, what's going on? Like, I can't deal with it. You know, like, if you make your whole entire life jujitsu, guess what? Those people inside the, in the mats, the people that are signing up are all, is pretty much your life. And you're going to realize why you protect your life the way that you should. And some, some people are going to grow with you. I don't know. I'm only at five years. So, you know, I've been through so many different phases of this in my life that I just have to say, this is who I am. And if, if I have certain rules, you don't mm-hmm. like them, there's other places. Right. And they're probably cheaper. <laughs> you know, like I tell the people all that, I say, listen, man, there's a gym down the street. It's cheaper than us. If you're looking for a particular way of being and you want things that are good, you're man, might as well pick a cheaper gym and be unhappy there because you shouldn't be unhappy here and pay more. What a weird business. You know, there's all these different gradients of interaction. I mean, at the very beginning, as we were, you were speaking to at the beginning is you go straight from like a consumer to person who's selling a product type of relationship. I'm coming in like day one for me walking in somewhere. The only preparation I'm doing is Googling, where's the location? How much do I have to pay? What time do I have to be there? That's it. I don't walk into the facility and think there's going to be some kind of relationship. I don't think of any of these extraneous contact things of BJJ historically, like whatever, bowing on the mats or bowing off, lining up in rank and order and all these unspoken rules, right? And things like that. I'm thinking this is business consumer. I'm going to the store, I'm buying a product and that is it. Whereas what you're talking about also at the, in these different gradients, these different levels of involvement where you're getting emotionally involved, right? And you're going beyond the expectation of that. It's, it's such a weird business. Let's turn the podcast to you. What do you think? A lot of times I can tell people what I think and they'll disagree with what I think. And that's 100% fine. But like, there's so many times where we say, okay, there's connection, there's culture. You wouldn't want to leave your gym right now because you're friends, right? You have these friends that you've made at this facility. I have to understand that about sometimes toxic people is that maybe they're not there for me, but it's my school. And so the people that are, that are staying with me because it's about me. So there's one person that is no longer interested in what I teach. They are, they're humdrum, they're like, this is okay. Mm-hmm. What I'm getting is okay, I, I'm fine with what I have. The reason why I'm staying at this facility is because my friend A, friend B, and friend C are here. But then you realize that friend A, friend B, and friend C are there because of me, because I'm teaching, and because they wanna learn from me. Well, is that person going to start to become toxic to A, B, and C? Mm-hmm. Are they gonna start mm-hmm. affecting A, B, and C's brain because wow. They don't care about me anymore, but they only care about A, B, and C. It's such a, it's wow, such what a spider web that is. Yeah. And I can't fault the other person because the other person likes friend A, B, and C. So they don't mm-hmm. want to train anywhere else, but it's like, they don't want to, they don't want to learn from the person that A, B, and C want to learn from. And at some point, jujitsu stops becoming jujitsu. And it's unfortunate. And, and sometimes I'm going to have to, and I hate saying that I've kicked people out. I have, I've, I've told people to leave because can't let this eat my entire gym up. Like I like this guy, but I can't let him keep bashing the gym and then keep coming in. And then one white belt, like you said, the consumer you walks in is like, oh, well, let me come in. All right, I'd like some jiu-jitsu. Okay, yeah. Okay, how do I tie my belt? And they're there for three weeks and they hear this guy going like, man, this is bullshit. I don't even like this, man. Mm-hmm. He's, he goes on and he's talking forever. Why can't we roll a little bit more? Like I wouldn't do it like this. I would do it like that. And it's mm-hmm. like, 
dude, that white belt consumer. So let's say mm-hmm. I took you from purple to four stripe brown. And mm-hmm. now you have this history of yourself of in this gym and you have a negative outlook on it. Mm-hmm. You're going to affect people that have only been there for two weeks, three weeks, people that have been there that are coming over for the gym for the first time in their blue belt. They're only, I don't, I'm not in the locker room. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So if you're doing this locker room, powwow stuff and you're just beating a drum about what you wish it was like you're now affecting the person that could genuinely like who i am or genuinely like the techniques that i'm showing or grow because of that hmm. and i think the biggest thing at the end is sometimes you got to cut ties you got to ask people why they're there mm-hmm. you know it's like hey i'm mm-hmm. noticing this why are you here like right. do you still want the things that you were here for in the beginning if not i get that you don't want to leave your friends but it becomes a point where i can no longer give you the services that you want and to protect a b and c who still enjoy what i do mm-hmm. i'm going to have to ask you to go limit your your interactions of negativity like i'll always try that first mm-hmm. like, hey man listen i hear this this and that just stop dude Come on. there's an issue tell me if you want to be a bigger player in the, in the scene tell me you want to be a big right. you want to be a big deal well guess what big deals get big deal has to carry the plate you don't get to right. just walk in 15 minutes late you don't get to do that nope you get a class of your own you have to do this you have to cultivate it you have to deal with all the bullshit and are you ready for to handle that and that's what it comes down to it's like why there's so much at stake with jiu-jitsu is that you are genuinely affecting another human being's life all the time mm-hmm. and i don't think there's any other consumer product that's like that besides probably like chefs or like, I mean, I know there's like deep inner circles of, of like restaurant business of like head chef. I don't know. I mean, it's it, it sounds like a business challenge in general. You know, Ray Dalio says that he's one of the super famous investors, like uh, Radical like Candor yeah. is how he runs his business, right? And you've, you've touched on this too, in terms of being honest. And I think that's super important is having, establishing that culture of trust where anyone can say anything they want and there won't be retribution. But when aligning your goals, what's acceptable for Maliki or not? And do they align with what you're coming in at or not? Because right. if not, we have an issue. Can we reach a common ground and is that acceptable or not? That's a question. Oftentimes too, that person can affect someone that's new to the company, let's call it, right? right. And this person will give you some kind of horrible review on Glassdoor, you know, Coca-Cola's or whoever maybe is horrible to work at because they because of this toxic individual they or whatever. One person, one person that they have interaction with and it changes the, the entire mindset of somebody. I and I've had people come to tell me even like, man, one guy will leave or something like that. And then that person stays and they're like, man, I'm going to tell you that like, they'll tell me the truth. They'll be like, man, like for a while, I didn't understand why you were doing this or that. It's like, like I get your point of view now. And it's like, mm-hmm. and I have to understand that other person's point of view too. It's like, they may not like me. They may not like how I do things. I do things the way I do things because of the amount of work I put into it. You know, like I think like any any normal human being, I, I've seen counselors or, or therapists or, or something like that, and there's no way that they can understand this culture. I've tried to explain the culture. It's like, well, why don't you get rid of him? I can't. He's a vital piece of this because everybody else likes this guy. It's like, well, why can't can you have a discussion with him? It's like, well, as soon as I let him know that he's has that there's an issue with him, he's immediately going, he's immediately in crisis mode. The gym culture is so unlike anything else. There's no basketball culture like this. I don't think like mm-hmm. they're getting paid millions of dollars to listen to their coach. Mm-hmm. You know, and maybe where jujitsu is the only problem, and I tell people this all the time, is that I wish jujitsu wasn't about capitalism. I wish Russia paid me what I was <laughs> worth. You know, Russia can pay me whatever I'm worth and I don't have to dumb down the techniques. I don't have to go, well, there's 30 minutes. Everybody has to roll. I go, no, we're drilling today. 
That's all mm. we're doing. Oh, this is it. You guys cannot pull this move together. You cannot get out of this area. We're going to do this until you, till it's ingrained in your brain. And if, if you ever read like the talent code, mm-hmm. you know, where do these extraordinary talents come from? Why are they all coming from Russia? Why right. are they all coming from the same place, the same small town? And well, number one, they saw somebody make it. I can make it too. Why are all these baseball players from Puerto Rico? Why are they all having these huge breakout stars from Puerto Rico? Not that they're, they're different in Puerto Rico, it's that they understand what the amount of work is to put into it. And people tell me, I posted on my site not too long ago, when people tell me they want to be world champion. And then there's these two kids in Russia, Georgia, break off from what the Soviet Union was. And they're throwing each other around, going like full kill. And they're eight or nine years old and one's wearing shoes and one isn't. And they're in this like old room and it looks like, it just looks like a basement. Mm -hmm. And they're just trying to destroy one another. And it's Mm -hmm. like, dude, these kids have probably been, there's nothing else for them. They're either going to join the military. They realize like they live with 15 of their family members Mm -hmm. and their father may have gotten close. Let's say Khabib's father. Khabib's father, we don't know who Khabib's father is because there wasn't a venue for him or there wasn't, he's not Alexander Karelin, but he got close. He's great at what he does. He mm-hmm. made his son amazing. Yeah, his son champion. owes mm-hmm. it. Yeah, his son owes it to him. But it's because of the circumstances that they're under that they fight so hard for it. Mm-hmm. And it's not a capitalist mindset. It's a we need to survive mindset. Hmm. We need to make it because if we make it, our lives and our family can change. Everything can right. change for us. And if you come from comfort and you're used to comfort and you're used to being like, my kid's not really enjoying this anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, because it's capitalism, I have to go, well, yeah, you're right. Maybe they should play a game for five minutes because maybe they'll keep your kid in it. But it's like, realistically, who plays a game when you go to basketball practice for the high school? Do you all play tag at the end of that? No, nobody's playing tag. Mm-hmm. Nobody's, sometimes you don't even play a game with each other. You're just doing drills. Drills, drills, drills. You may play one one one-on-one game. There's no other sport where you go like, okay, 30 minutes, we're just going to play a basketball game. It's like, no, the basketball game is what you do. Practice is what you do to prepare for the game. It seems like it's uh, the 80-20 rule. I would imagine that the majority of your business is coming from working stiffs, people that have day jobs, they're coming in, they're doing a little bit of jujitsu, and they're going home. And what I'm hearing from you, it sounds like, is that, man, you want to be cultivating these champions. Well, maybe not cultivating these champions, but maybe letting them know what champions are. And so because everybody says they want to be a champion. Mm-hmm. Everybody, every every kid wants to be LeBron James who's playing mm-hmm. basketball. But how many kids are doing the Larry Bird, you know, living in Salt Lake, Indiana, and shooting the lights out right. all day, all night? and just feeding yeah. just that's it and so it's like when people have expectations like well my kid didn't win why didn't my kid win like you didn't take him here you know you took him here three days a week rather than five well, he missed all this part it's like yeah well he had this going on i'm like yeah i get it but that's the stuff it's like i can't catch up to you and you alone because i have 20 people on the mats or 30 people on the mats and you a week and a half of training you missed the one thing that could have helped your kid or missed the one thing that would have helped you. it's like you what do you mean you don't know how to do the arm bar from the back what do you mean? I've taught this a thousand times. What do you mean that you haven't been drilling? What do you mean? You know, the same thing goes with like boxers. Like, what do you mean you're not shadow box? What do mm-hmm. you mean you're not working on your jab? Well, you're just hitting combinations and hitting pads? Mm-hmm. No, man, you, you only need one punch right now. That's it. You need to work a jab. If you cannot stop Delhiva, right? If you cannot undo the Delhiva hook, then you have a real problem 
with your jiu-jitsu and you're going to have to only focus on that if you can't get out of spider guard or if you can't survive spider guard you have a real problem with your jiu-jitsu and if you say well i'm going to be a world champion or you get sad when you don't because of everything that's lined out in front of you it's like we're also the only sport that like middle-aged people can can win gold medals like we have like a master's division and we have all these other yeah yes we're a sport if you want to be considered one of the top in the sport and I never want to tell anybody, well, you're not going to be a champion. I just tell them, you don't want to do the work that a champion is going to do. If that's true, make peace with yourself and enjoy it. Don't put too much pressure on yourself. You're not dialing in hidden potential you already have. And that's enough for a lot of people. Yeah. Being the best in the gym is not a bad thing. Being the best in the gym is fun. And some people want to be the best in the gym. And then when they go out there, they don't lose. They never compete again because they just got a hard dose of reality that there was something outside of that that kicked their butt. And then they go, I don't want anybody to know that I'm not as good as they think I am. So I'm not going to do it. And that's another conversation to have. I try to tell, you know, black belts, I have these these two twin brothers who I think are amazing. They're, you know, the Mahesha brothers, mm-hmm. Kevin and Brian. They're, they are truly amazing talents. Neither one of them are world champion, but it doesn't stop them from being going to the worlds every single year. And they get, they lost to Michael Lange by an advantage. So mm-hmm. you never hear about this guy. You know, but they lost to it by one advantage to Michael Lange. And it could be argued that they should have got an advantage for trying to almost pass in the guard. But mm-hmm. they didn't get it. Listen, you don't know who these guys are because they didn't get past Michael Lange. They could have had a meteoric rise. Hey, if you want to put it together over and over again, you're going to have to fail over and over again. And just keep believing. Like, not everybody's going to be Mikey Musumeci who wins at every belt level mm-hmm. each year. Mikey comes from Florida. He was at a gym that I trained at in Florida when, when he was a kid. I mean, he's an obsessive amount of jiu-jitsu. That's all his mm-hmm. life is. Him and his sister. sister. His yeah. sister has a little bit more, like, I think that she's maybe going to be a doctor or something now. So his sister's a little bit more divided in her attention. Mm-hmm. But growing up, that's all they did. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. So that's all you're going to do then you get those results. Yeah. Or you get close to those results. You're going to have a girlfriend. If you're going to go out to movies, if you're going to go do these other things, you're going to have to realize that people that sacrifice those things might beat you. And that's just the bottom line of, of talent. So Malachi, you're a prolific creator. Let's let's just fire off some of the stuff. Dars Killer, Flower Power, Heisengard, your online school. Shit, your instructor never showed you. Unfuck your jujitsu. Acai Free. I mean, this is just some some of the stuff, man. What do you got going on? In the, what's in the burner? And what do you fantasize about? Someday pie in the sky, moonshot type of stuff that you want to do. So I, I give myself a couple uh, goals. And I, and I really want to, to come out with a kids jujitsu instructional. Mm-hmm. And not just for the kids or the... I want to do it for the parents. I want parents to be able to watch what I'm teaching. So there to be a kid version and there to be a parent version. And to explain mm. to parents what they should be seeing from their kid and what where their kid's body should be positioned, why this is this way. And so somebody who, who has almost no jiu-jitsu experience can convey to their three- or four-year-old where they should put their leg and why and how they should correlate that. So that's something that after I got rid of those three DVDs, I got them out of my brain and I shot them and I'm good. I want to do a kid's DVD. There's something about using the a certain kind of dummy that I want to try to create. So then I go, okay, well, what, what do I want? How do I make myself good? Well, I want to be on the cover of a magazine. That's what I want. So I want to, I want to be on the cover of a magazine. What do I have to do to be on the cover of a magazine? Well, I got to keep putting out good content. I got to make a huge change in the martial arts game. And I'm going to give myself five years. Mm-hmm. Until I see myself on the cover of a magazine, and that means, and so the cover of a magazine is a selfish goal, but there's a whole lot of selfless acts that are going to get, that have to get me there. I have to put somebody in, 
as a champion. I have to deliver jujitsu content that's so great that people want to buy it. And, and that the reason why they're buying the magazine is because of what I've done in the community. So it goes, okay, I have to do all these things that have almost zero to do with me being on the cover, but everything to do with me being on the cover. And I won't be mad because magazines are going out of fashion anyways, but I got to own a gym. I got to own a gym. I got to make a black belt. I got to do this. I keep pushing the, that stick farther out and it goes, okay, I've reached six DVDs. I'm, I'm happy with that. So I feel confined in my DVD. So sometimes I'm like, I want to reshoot all over again. I just want to keep reshooting. I get upset that I forgot something. I'm like, oh, we got to reshoot this. This is why there's five and a half hours. There's yeah. three split DVDs. It was supposed to be one DVD. I just <laughs> kept filming. And so now I'm like, okay, stop that. Put more content online. Focus on something that not a lot of people are doing, which is the instructional side. So like, there's a lot of traditional martial arts guys that have a grappling system. Mm -hmm. And the biggest issue they run into is that they get some guy to come in and then he busts out with all their students. So it's like, it's a sad thing to see. There's some guy will come in, they'll teach their grappling program, they're being compensated the right way, and they decided they want to grow and they want to take the students with them. Hmm. I would like to help traditional martial artists who aren't getting into the huge sector of like, so if you're getting into the sector of jujitsu, for money, you should become a black belt at jiu-jitsu. Like, or at least you should become comparable. You should be working on yourself, coming in, training, doing all the things you should be doing to be able to teach the class yourself so that when you hire somebody, they're teaching your form of jiu-jitsu and you're not going to lose everybody when they leave. Mm -hmm. But I would like to help them with kids' curriculum because kids are, are somewhat simpler when we're talking about three years old to seven years old, is that if you do things correctly, if you teach them the right way, if you give them the right amount of contact in bad situations, I like to call it like calming the chaos. And so if they have to be in the chaos and they're getting their head mashed up and their hair's going crazy and you're giving them a lot of positive directions and after it's over, you're immediately filling the room with like clapping and you're like, yeah, you know, like that kid just felt like they were in a, a tornado comes out going like, why everybody's happy. And it's like, that becomes less chaotic and it becomes less traumatic for the kids totally. so that they're able to, now start to really start to, to take those double legs, not to be scared of being sprawled on. And you can do that up to being like a purple belt. You could probably, if you put the right amount of effort into jujitsu, you put the right amount of effort into learning how things work, is that really we're just doing hard line foundation skills. And I just have a different passion for it than a lot of other people do, where, where they see dollar signs on kids, they go belt promotion, belt promotion, belt promotion, where I see... I want to get this kid from my Cubs class to my champs class. Hmm. If I can get this kid from my Cubs class into my champs class, then they got three to four years of just repetitive, but disguised repetitive play. And then they come into my champs class. They're going to be so good. And then they're going to really enjoy the training aspect. And hopefully I don't lose them the basketball or whatever else pops up because those things always pop up. It's like basketball shows up. And now they're they're gone for four years and they realize, you know, they're going to be LeBron for four years. And then they come back and they're like, well, I wasn't LeBron. I used to do jiu-jitsu when I was 15. So it's like, yeah, welcome back. Yeah. I believe that there's a better way of teaching kids for sport. And I believe that sport reinforces self-defense. I don't think anybody who does sport jiu-jitsu as a blue belt is going to get the crap beat out of them by somebody else. It just shouldn't happen. Like if you're a mm -hmm. legitimately sport jiu-jitsu blue belt and that person doesn't know jiu-jitsu and you get it to the ground because you don't get knocked out. You should be able to defend yourself, mm -hmm. you know, nine times out of 10. So it's the same thing with kids. It goes like, well, if the kids know how to do a double A takedown and get somebody off of them, they're going to be okay in a schoolyard fight. They'll be fine. So I want to focus more on sport jujitsu, the concepts and ideas of the movement and the transitions and how to make it fun 
I have a lot of games that come up. So I think that's what I'm, my new thing is I'm going to develop a kid's program. That's and a great try idea. To, yeah, and try to push it out there to somebody. Maybe I'll never get known as John Donaher having Gordon Ryan. Maybe I'll get known as the guy who created a kid's system that sold out and they did tons of, of amazing things off of this, these concepts and stuff. I got to sh- aim and shoot and then hope that it sticks and lands or pushes me in another direction forward. Can you tell me about a time or times you just, you thought about quitting? I'll wake up with like an existential crisis type ideas. And then I'll be like, I'll look at my life and I'll be like, what am I doing? Why am I teaching a, a hobby? And I'm teaching a hobby right now to a whole bunch of people. My whole entire life is revolving around somebody's hobby. That's it. Me just being good at somebody's hobby. I'm not saving lives. Even the guy who's trying to find aliens is doing a little bit more than I am. Sometimes I think that it's like he's looking beyond the human race. He's trying to figure out, even if it's all just BS, if it comes to nothing, he's trying to further our lives in some manner. So it's like I'll have like moments like that where I'm like, maybe it's time to retire. Like maybe when the businesses get going well and sell the business and move and try something else. I mean, I have to think about that just because sometimes people don't realize that I'm a person, not just a shop. And so I think about that probably more than I thought about that movie when I thought I was competitive. When I was competitive, I never thought of quitting, ever. It was like, so if my body was moving and I could compete and I could train, I loved it. I loved every moment of being training. I loved every moment of winning and losing. I love, I love live training. I, haven't, I don't live train as really anymore. I can't because I, like if I go live, I'm going to hurt myself and I'll be out for a week. So it's like almost to the point where now has been the only time like where I've like thought like, well, maybe this isn't the right thing. You know, maybe, maybe my thing becomes something else at 40 or 50, but I don't think so. I think it becomes to an extent that we're like, how do I modify this for my life? How do I make my life not be only about jujitsu? How do I make mm-hmm. my life not only be about other people reaching and attaining their individual goals that may or may not have anything to do with me in the, in the future. It goes into those concepts and I really don't have an answer for you. It's like, yeah, great yeah, points. I just keep taking it one day at a time and hopefully <laughs> something comes from it, like a new thing and I'm able to catch it and I feel like, okay, this is good. I, I'm happy. I, I want to mm-hmm. follow this. And so the kids think, so I'm always shooting like I want to, I want the DVDs to do well and I want people to, to enjoy those and mm-hmm. to want to see more of my jujitsu because of those. But maybe the kids thing takes off and I'm, or maybe it doesn't, there's been a million things that haven't worked out that never made mm-hmm. itself into the hands of other people. And I'm just got to keep thinking that maybe the thing that's going to happen hasn't happened yet. It seems like you get a lot of your feedback, obviously from your school. It's Black Label Jiu-Jitsu now, right? Yes. We haven't even mentioned yes. the name. We, yeah, formerly ATT Low Country and now it's yeah. Black, Black Label, Label Jiu-Jitsu. Jiu-Jitsu. It seems like a lot of the action is happening outside of there as well. So in, in terms right. of your material that you released on the internet and your DVDs, you've reached a, a global audience of people like myself. I can only speak, testify to my, my own self or like a middle-aged guy waking up with some pains in the morning, you know, and I really enjoyed you. So I really enjoyed going to it. And then one morning, you know, I'm not feeling it. And I see some Malachi content or something. And I'm like, that's like an endorphin yeah. drip of your material. Yeah. And it's really, I think it inspires a lot of people outside of the context of your academy, right? 
right? So from the global internet perspective, and people talk. And I, I talk. I'm like, dude, you got to check out this Malky guy, man. This stuff is really interesting stuff. And then it's it snowballs from there. And I think your content is fairly evergreen, so I think it's going to be out there and inspire a lot of future practitioners. You know, I- so like I get a lot of positive feedback online and mm-hmm. like it may be three or four people that say something, but those three or four people, man, it's, man, there's something special about what, when you get somebody to comment on it and they're like, man, I love your stuff. This is amazing. This is great. I cannot believe how this is. People don't realize that like a lot of times that all the stuff they're seeing is just me teaching at my academy for the most part. And those go to my academy students, get those to get that content for free or for a minimal amount, depending on their membership. And at the end of the day, those three people that got me motivated teach, I taught to them too. You know, it's like I'm teaching to internet standards or the person that commented or got their their content from me or had a question. And it's like, when there's not motivation inside house, there's motivation outside house. And then it it turns a good class that could have been so, so into a great class where everybody's enjoying themselves and like, this is good. I'm having a good class. So it's it's all interconnected, I would say, because the internet is there for me when I need it and the, the academy is there for, for me when I need it. And it's, mm-hmm. it all builds off itself. The whole goal of it all is just to be good. It's just to give really good content and don't skimp on it. Like It's hard on Instagram too, is that a lot of times on Instagram, the things I like aren't on it. I can't put that on it. Like my, you'll never find my page. If you notice my new stuff, it's, it's eight second clips. Yeah. And people yeah. want eight seconds. They don't want, and, and I, I can't say that I'm any different. I don't watch that many instructionals anymore. I, don't, I haven't even watched UFC in the past two, two fights mm-hmm. with the past two cards. Yeah. I've had enough of jujitsu for right now. I'm not like gorging myself on instructionals. Like I probably would have 10 years ago. So getting that eight second clip is like that sweet spot of somebody watching it again going like, where do I find more of this? Where do I find the longer version of this? And that's the hardest part is going like, well, this is the same thing with, with my, my students. It's like, they're getting overloaded too sometimes. So sometimes yeah. I'm over teaching them. I'm giving them too much. I'm not giving them enough. I'm not giving them the short eight second, which would be like the eight minute thing. And then they drill and then give them another eight minutes. I'm trying to over explain something for myself because that's how I like it. Not necessarily how they like it. Right. You know, and, and I think, That's like a big thing that people don't realize is that you cannot teach how you like. Like You can't teach to yourself. You can't Mm -hmm. teach because you like what you said, what you would like if you were sitting in on the audience. You have to teach to your audience and your audience alone. And sometimes that is the eight second window. And sometimes you'll find somebody that where you're like, you know what? I don't care what anybody thinks. This is going to be a four minute video. It's going to IGTV. And if they don't care for it, fine, but I'm going to reach five or six people with this, Mm. you know, and if they like Mm. that, they'll like my DVDs. And it's a lot of trial and error, I think, too, that people don't realize that just because you're not hitting those numbers, those view numbers, it doesn't mean that you're not connecting with people. A lot of people do not like or they do not comment on something that they like or they don't watch it three times in a row doesn't mean that it didn't have a significant delivery to them. Just like the person that's losing all the time at Naga or or new breed or IBJJF, it's like, don't stop because you're going to make, you're going to make a couple of lifetime fans and those people will turn you on to other people, will turn you on to other people. Just keep going and try to be authentic, but at the same time, try to remember that you're not your audience. Plus, there's a fire hose of information now in your Instagram right. feed or your Twitter feed or whatever. It's like right. if you're following a bunch of BJJ authorities, it's you're going to get a ton of content. Fortunately yeah. for you, you have this track record of doing this stuff historically, yeah. all of this stuff for so long, right. whereas a lot of people and instructors now are scrambling to even establish anything, especially under COVID. So you have that advantage. Right.
How did you learn to tie your white belt when oh, you started the a, entire? This is a good. This is a good. This is it's a always good a good story. story. This. this is good. All right. So by the time I was doing jujitsu, there was a, there was something called sub fighter, and I don't even know if it, if if even the remnants of it exist anymore. Hmm. Um, it, it was like the first instructional site that you could pay five bucks or four ninety nine and get instructionals from like the dude. I think the dude. I think he passed away, but he was one of the guys that fought Andre Galvao in Strike Force. He was wow. a black belt and. Went to a decision. He almost submitted Andre Galval, who's like back and forth guy with a bunch of tattoos. He was a tattoo artist too. I did all the MMA stuff, and I liked watching instruction these instructionals. And YouTube didn't have any instructionals on it besides like how to. It was something like ridiculous. They hadn't gotten to the YouTube era yet. And so I first tied my. I first put a gi on. I was at Ricardo Almeida's school, and they made us. They made guys do the gi. And I don't remember tying my belt, but. I stayed away from jiu-jitsu for eight to nine years of Brazilian jiu-jitsu in the gi because I did not know how to tie my belt. <laughs> I did not know how to put my gi on. I did not have anybody walk me through anything and make me. And then when I came onto the mat and I had my belt tied or I didn't do something correct, I got chastised for it. And that was something that made me change. Like if I see somebody walk on the mat and not bow, who's mm -hmm. new, I don't chew them out. I don't do the whole like turn away from me and tie your belt. They can do that. Like they should wait. Like once they understand what the rules are, they should do the rules correctly. But like, what am I going to do? Like all of a sudden be this person that makes them feel uncomfortable in their first moment of stepping on someplace where they're super uncomfortable. Yeah. Walking into a place uncomfortable. They know nobody at all. This is right. something that they, they've actually taken the steps to put on a gi and it's like an oversized gi that's a rental that yeah. they're able to borrow. And they walk on the mat and they feel super uncomfortable. They don't know how to line up. They don't know right. what they're doing. Man, listen, if I teach how to tie belts, I teach them how to put their belt on. I'll get them with the right person that loves jujitsu for the right reasons. That's going to help them and not hurt them. And I have to realize there's going to be people like me that think the gi is, it shouldn't matter. Or it's like, oh, you can do MMAs without the gi anyway. So it's like, yeah, but you're going to get a lot more out of that gi training that you, that you don't think you would. You know, I tell guys like, hey, I did this for nine years without the gi. I was really good at scrambling, but my control was really, really misguided. I had no, no control over people, you know? I could mm -hmm. catch a guillotine in a second, but I couldn't hold somebody down and pass their guard. There's these levels, and gi teaches you that. I think understanding that these are just regular people, and for God's sake, you're teaching a hobby, that a person walking in may make $500,000 and donate to cancer awareness you're not better than them because you know how to tie your belt and you're not better than them because you're colored belt. You have zero more life skills than them other than in the range of Jesus. Whereas I think there's so many people that want to be important and want to be this like version of themselves with the nose up in the air and like, I'm special. And it's like, dude, chill out. This is jujitsu. The guy's going to miss his belt 30 or 40 times a day. And on top of that, you're going to have to just deal with the reality that he's doing this for fun. And if he loves it, great, but you've got to stop putting so much of your own pressure on them of being great at jujitsu. Like <laughs> if they're just here to play, man, they're here to play. If they start to like it, realize that this is their journey. And yeah, I, I think that it's really important to realize that this is something that they're really stepping outside of their way of doing. And they're going to have to like stop putting so much stress on yourself. Stop putting stress on your students, make it a comfortable, 
put them with the right people and don't let that person not tie a belt for eight years because you made this so weird. Mm -hmm. It's always fascinating yeah. where that question leads to. Yeah, it's, it's uncomfortable. Jiu-Jitsu is uncomfortable. Doing this sport is uncomfortable. Being almost opening yourself up for criticism and opening yourself up for doing something and looking completely stupid at it is very hard. You know, it's like made the step into the gym. Some people aren't all that arrogance and like, well, I'm here to fight. So what do I got to do? You know, like there's, we have those guys, but then we have guys like that are nervous. They're scared. They don't make new, they don't have any friends right now, or they're in a new environment where they're trying something healthy for their life, where they're, they're trying to make friends. And it's like your rules on time belt matter crap to what that person is, is capable of. Hmm. I, and I can't stand seeing people berating white belts or berating them for doing things like wrong or looking like it's man, just let that guy get through his first year, please. Mm -hmm. <laughs> please let him get through his first year of jujitsu without you harping on him every second. It's so interesting to learn things that we've went through in the past, such as that type of beratement or that kind of thing, in terms of how you're going to conduct business in the future for yourself mm -hmm. and how that improves your particular business, all the things you don't want to do, right? Right. Well, Maliki, thanks so much for your time. Where can Thank the you. listeners learn more about you? So I am now at Maliki Friedman. So my name is M-A-L-A-C-H-Y-F-R-I-E-D-M-A-N. Hopefully if you put that in, in any kind of misspelling, it still comes to me. Black Label Martial Arts, Black Label Jiu-Jitsu in Charleston, South Carolina. I have a instructional site with my DVDs on it. I'm on Jiu-Jitsu, BJJ Fanatic, Budo Videos. I'm on YouTube. My Podia is my new site that I'm trying to cultivate actual subscription base to, which is malikifriedman.podia.com. And I sometimes try to do podcasts, but I'm not good at them. I'm on the internet. So please find me yeah. if you need me, reach out to me, talk to me. I'm pretty accessible to a degree to reach out and just share and do stuff like this. This is fun. All right. So thanks, everyone. And thanks, Maliki, for his time. I'm Adolfo Fronda at Forever WB Show. Everywhere else, uh, check us out. Give us the thumbs up. Subscribe. Hit the bell and all the nice things and nice reviews. And we will uh, see you guys next week. Thanks for listening and watching out there.